Hello, and welcome to the Proskauer Benefits Brief, Legal Insights on Employee Benefits and Executive Compensation. I'm Adam Skoll, Senior Counsel in the firm's Boston office, and I'm here with Ira Bogner, partner in our New York office, and today we will be discussing plan assets exceptions for private investment funds. Ira, why don't you first discuss what are we talking about when we refer to plan assets exceptions and why they matter to private investment fund managers that might want to accept investments from ERISA-covered plans. As we've discussed in earlier podcasts, ERISA plan fiduciaries are subject to strict and complex fiduciary duty and prohibited transaction rules. In certain circumstances, these burdensome rules could be imposed upon a private investment fund and its manager if that fund accepts investments from ERISA-covered plans, and that is because of a regulation commonly referred to as the Plan Assets Regulation. The Plan Assets Regulation is a Department of Labor regulation that addresses when the assets of certain entities, such as private investment funds, will constitute plan assets of ERISA plans invested therein for purposes of ERISA. Right. The Plan Assets Regulation generally provides that if an ERISA plan invests in an entity, such as a private investment fund, the plan's assets include its investment, but do not include any of the underlying assets of the entity. However, there is a look-through rule which provides that if the plan's investment is in an equity interest, and the equity interest is not a publicly offered security, and the entity is not a registered investment company, then the plan's assets include both its equity interest and an undivided interest in each of the entity's underlying assets, unless an exception to the look-through rule applies. If such an exception does not apply, we sometimes refer to the entity as holding ERISA plan assets, and in such a case, the entity will generally be subject to ERISA's fiduciary duty and prohibited transaction rules. If an exception does apply, then the entity will not be considered to be holding ERISA plan assets, and it will not be subject to ERISA's fiduciary duty and prohibited transaction rules. The most common exceptions that private investment funds rely on to avoid holding ERISA plan assets are the insignificant benefit plan investor participation exception, sometimes referred to as the ERISA 25% limit exception, the venture capital operating company, or VCOC exception, and the real estate operating company, or REOC exception. And while we're going to briefly discuss the material aspects of each of these exceptions, it is important to note that the devil is in the details and that there are tons of traps for the unwary. Accordingly, if you are a manager of a private investment fund and you intend on accepting investments from ERISA-covered plans, or at least don't want to preclude the possibility of accepting investments in your fund by ERISA-covered plans, we highly recommend that you consult with experienced ERISA legal counsel during all phases of your fund formation and fundraise and Proskauer is here to help if you need us. Ira, why don't you start us off with an overview of the insignificant benefit plan investor participation exception. This exception provides that when equity participation in an entity, such as a private investment fund, by benefit plan investors is not significant, the entity will not be deemed to be holding plan assets under ERISA. Equity participation by benefit plan investors will not be considered significant if immediately after the most recent acquisition or disposition of any equity interest in the entity, less than 25% of the total value of each class of equity interest in the entity is held by benefit plan investors. For purposes of this 25% threshold test, the term benefit plan investors includes ERISA-covered plans, 
certain other retirement plans defined in and subject to Section 4975 of the Code, such as an individual retirement account, and entities or accounts deemed to be holding plan assets under ERISA. And although that sounds pretty straightforward, there are a couple of items to look out for here. When calculating the 25% threshold, you have to disregard the value of any equity interest held by a person that is not a benefit plan investor who either has discretionary authority or control with respect to the assets of the entity or that provides investment advice for a fee, direct or indirect, with respect to the assets of the entity. You also have to ignore the value of any equity interest held by an affiliate of any such person. So for a private investment fund, that generally means you have to disregard interests held by the general partner and or the manager of the fund and persons or entities considered their affiliates under these rules. Also, if an entity has more than one class of equity, it will need to keep each class of equity below the 25% threshold in order to avoid holding plan assets. Unfortunately, there is no definition of class in the regulations, and therefore it will not always be clear as to what constitutes a separate class of equity for these purposes. Moving on to the Venture Capital Operating Company, or VCOC, exception, generally for an entity to qualify as a VCOC, at least 50% of its assets valued at cost must be invested in operating companies with respect to which the entity has the direct contractual right to participate substantially in or to substantially influence the conduct of the management of the operating company and the entity must actually exercise such management rights with respect to one or more such operating companies in the ordinary course of its business. A common misconception is that only an equity investment in an operating company may qualify as a good VCOC investment, but it is generally irrelevant for VCOC purposes whether the investment is in the form of equity or debt. For purposes of qualifying as a VCOC, an operating company is defined as an entity that is primarily engaged, either directly or through a majority-owned subsidiary or subsidiaries, in the production or sale of a product or service other than the investment of capital and includes a real estate operating company or REOC, but does not include another VCOC. In order to qualify as a VCOC, the entity must meet the 50% asset test on the date it makes its first long-term investment, and then on at least one day during its pre-established 90-day annual valuation period, the first day of which must begin no later than the anniversary of the entity's first long-term investment. There are a number of potential pitfalls when it comes to VCOC compliance. One is that there is very little guidance as to what constitutes sufficient contractual management rights, and so we always suggest obtaining the strongest set of management rights possible, as sometimes it will not be clear whether you have satisfied the requirements. Further, a VCOC has to have its own direct contractual management rights with respect to the operating company. Generally, rights that it shares with another entity, such as a parallel fund or co-investor, will not satisfy the requirements. Another item to consider is that whenever a VCOC is investing indirectly into the ultimate portfolio company, consideration needs to be given as to whether the VCOC actually has an investment in an entity that qualifies as an operating company, and as to whether it has direct contractual management rights with respect to the operating company. Again, experienced VCOC counsel is highly recommended. Lastly, but not least, is the real estate operating company, or REOC, exception which is very similar to the VCOC exception, but is generally only going to be available for funds that invest in real estate, so it is somewhat limited in application. 
In order for an entity to qualify as a REOC, it must generally have at least 50% of its assets valued at cost invested in real estate, which is managed or developed, and with respect to which the entity has the right to substantially participate directly in the management or development activities. And it must be engaged directly in real estate management or development activities in the ordinary course of its business. Similar to the VCOC requirements, the entity must meet the 50% test on the date it makes its first long-term investment and then on at least one day during its pre-established 90-day annual valuation period. Thanks, Ira. That concludes our overview of the plan assets exceptions for private investment funds. Thank you all for joining us on the Proskauer Benefits Brief. Stay tuned for more legal insights on employee benefits and executive compensation, and be sure to follow us on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Play.